0: morning, everybody. So, rethinking generosity by choice. How reasonable should irrational generosity be? We have been speaking about irrational generosity. One of our value statements is that we are led by irrational generosity, but should our irrational generosity be reasonable? And I'm asking because I'm sure you, like me, have got a story where you wanted to be generous and you started giving, but then it seemed like you had to give far more than you were intending in the first place. And it was like you offered someone your hand and they took your whole arm and you felt like, whoa, I'm not sure if that is what I signed up for. We had an experience like this a couple of years ago. We were still living in Ramsgate down the south coast. And we'd been doing home alterations, quite drastic alterations. And friends of ours asked if they could, during the holidays we were away, if they could use our home just when the alterations finished for their family holiday. Obviously down the south coast, beautiful and relaxing there. And so we said, okay, that's fine. It was quite a big thing for me because at that stage we had children aged 0135, seven, and ten, I think, something like that, and uh, we had been living from bedroom to bedroom, so we had no kitchen. We'd been eating in this room, and then we'd kind of shoved things. I didn't know where everything was, and then the builders were moving in here, so we had to move into the next room. I was literally at the end of my degree. I, I said to Richard, if you feel like you want to have a nervous breakdown, but you're not having one, does that count as bad. Like, it was just so, so stressful. And at that time, they said, "Could they come? And I was like, okay, I could just manage that. And then after we agreed, they said, well, we actually bring our parents, so we'll be needing not just two bedrooms, three bedrooms. So I said, okay, we can manage that. And then they said, it's actually a bit of a family holiday. It's over Christmas. Would you mind if my sister and her family with her four kids came as well? They'll all stay in one room because you've got that outside room as well. So we said, okay, that's fine. And then they said, well, we've also got a single sister, but I mean, she can literally sleep anywhere. And so we ended up having to ask our tenant to move out of her place so that they could And eventually we just, I felt so resentful. I wanted to be generous, but I ended up feeling so resentful. And I'm sure that you have experienced that as well. And that's why I'm asking you the question, how reasonable should irrational generosity be? Have you ever heard the story of the averagely good to medium bad Samaritan? No? Only the good Samaritan. Well, it's a very similar story. So it starts off very much the same. There's an injured man and the Samaritan, few people passing by the Averagely good Samaritan spots him there, goes across, uh, helps him with his wounds, pours on oil and wine. Wine in those days, was, they knew for some reason alcohol uh, would kill the germs, but they didn't know about germs. They just knew it was good for wounds. So he takes his own rations. This was not his medical kit. This was his own food that he was going to. It was his oil, his wine for his trip. But he uses it on this man. He puts this injured man onto his own donkey and he takes him to an inn. And we read in Luke 10, verse 35, the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now this is where it deviates from the story because the injured man overhears this and says to him, you can't leave me now. You're the only person that I've got. I've been hurt. I've got nobody else. You're the only one who's been kind to me and I need you. I can't cope without you. And so the good Samaritan says, okay, I'll stay a few more days, and he stays a few more days. The injured man keeps taking his whole arm, and eventually the Averagely Good Samaritan gets a message that the business deal he was going, the camels have been sold, and they won't be coming around for another year. And he turns to the injured man, he says, this is all your fault. I never could give this much. Why did you do this to me? Why did you ask for more than I could give? (laughs) And again, it's such a familiar story of allowing people to take more than what we originally intended. So when is irrational generosity unreasonable? Richard and I have often, at great pain to us, had our generosity questioned and had our motives questioned. When we adopted two children, both both times we had people close to us who said to us, you are being unreasonable. This is not okay. You are giving too much. You are endangering the state of your natural-born children, not only their inheritance, but also their current position. We've, had, we've been questioned on our generosity around our giving sometimes. We've been questioned on our generosity around allowing people throughout our marriage to move into our home when they needed to be helped up from a situation. We've done that throughout our lives, and often we've been questioned, and people have said, your generosity is unreasonable. So when is irrational generosity unreasonable? How much is too much? When is irrational generosity foolish? When is it Christian? What is the difference between a disciple and a doormat? So, we want to give. We want to be good Samaritans, not averagely good Samaritans, but we do want to be good Samaritans. We want to also be good stewards. We read in the Bible about stewards who look after their own property and multiply it and multiply their talents. And obviously, you don't do that by giving it all away. So, we want to get that balance as well. But then we've got this example of Jesus, and Jesus gives his life. He gives everything. So, how do we walk the balance? How do we find the line between generosity that is irrational but yet reasonable? So, I want to look at two stories to help us, stories in the Bible that help us to walk this line of having, being led by irrational generosity and yet being reasonable in it. The first is the story of a man called Boaz. It's actually found in the book is named after the woman in the story. Her name is Ruth. She is a young widow, uh, a young lady. She could have, when her husband died, followed her own path and found herself a new husband, but instead she stuck to her mother-in-law. And at her mother-in-law's request, she actually approached and propositioned this man, Boaz. Now, Boaz was an older man. He probably was not the most eligible bachelor in town. He was more the, he had money, he was wealthy, but he was more the strong, sturdy type. Because he hadn't got married, even though he was older. So, probably not flashingly handsome, but sturdy. And uh, And she, her mother-in-law said, I want you to go and proposition him and ask him in the manner of the day in that time, to take care of you, because Boaz was actually a relative, a cousin of the deceased man, of her deceased husband. And what the custom was, was that a relative would redeem this man's name by marrying his widow, uh, buying his property, and then also the first son that he had with this woman would have the the, ex, the deceased man's name, and so he would be furthering his the other man's estate uh, at the risk of his own, because if he didn't have a second son, then he wouldn't have a son to pass on his own land to, and so it would f- go to the other man's name. So it was quite a risk, um, but she goes in the middle of the night, it's harvest season, and Boaz is working with his men, he's on the threshing floor, he's sorting out his harvest, and he is sleeping the night on the threshing floor, making sure nothing gets stolen at night, looking after his property, and as he's sleeping there, Ruth comes in the middle of the night, quite awkward, and she just uncovers his feet, and she lies there, I think to wake him up, and also to say, would you cover me the way that your feet were covered? Would you take care of me? And he wakes up, and he is honored by her request, because he realizes that what she's doing is not for herself. For herself, she could have gone off and married some handsome rich guy. That would have been fine. What she's doing is actually for her husband's name, her deceased husband's name. And he honors that, and he thinks that that is actually a beautiful thing. Uh, when she goes back to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law says, watch this. She says, this man will not rest today until he sorts this out. So Boaz has a reputation. He has a reputation for being someone who, when he takes up somebody else's battle, he will fight it like his own. And so Boaz does that. He goes, there's another man who actually has a greater right to, than him to Ruth's Husband's estate. And so he goes to that man and asks him, Would you like to redeem the land of this man? And he, the man says, Yeah, sure, I'd love to buy his property and, and increase my own estate. And then Boaz says this in Ruth 4, verses 6. Then he oh, sorry, Boaz says, When you before you get to verse 6, verse 5 says, When you buy the field, you get the widow as well. Is that okay? <laughs> and the man, the the redeemer says, No, I cannot redeem it for myself because that might impair my own inheritance. Take my redemption, my right of redemption yourself. I cannot redeem it. And so he chooses not to endanger his own estate, uh, but lets Boaz do it. And so Boaz goes on to marry this woman. Second story. So pause there. The second story is the story of Jesus. We know that Jesus has laid down his life for us. Jesus has given up everything. Reading from Philippians 2 verse 5, we read this have this in mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross we've been reading and learning that the root of generosity is actually love and Jesus sets the standard for love here. The standard for love is that it is without measure. It is all the way to the point of giving your whole life. And he doesn't only say that that is what he would do, but he actually calls us to follow him even in that. So he's done it for us, but he calls us not only to accept his gift of dying for our, on our behalf, but also to follow on with that and by following him to do the same thing. In John 15, verse 12 to 13, he says this, love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. All right, so we come to this point. We now understand, our first point that we have been doing for a few weeks, but it needs to be reestablished today, is that generosity is irrational because it's for others good. It's not for us. Generosity doesn't look like serving our own interests. Generosity is always for others' good. It endangers our own estate. It puts our natural-born children at risk. It puts our inheritance at risk. It puts our lives at risk. It puts our property at risk. Generati- generosity is always for others' good. It doesn't build our own empires. In fact, John was telling us so beautifully the way God's irrational generosity and creation is that He even put seed into those creatures and plants that He gave life. There was seed there so that they could multiply life on their own. He's not building everything towards himself, he's giving and allowing it to continue without him. It's completely and utterly generous. It's got nothing to do with building up around ourselves. It's got to do with setting other people up to survive without us. So when we're giving to people and then making them dependent on us, that's not generosity. It's the opposite of generosity. Generosity is to set them up to be independent. It's just always for others good. So what is, what does the word irrational even mean? What is, Have you heard, you all know of an irrational number, right? You've heard of that in maths. I like to bring things back to maths and science so that we can understand. Well, pi is an irrational number. You have heard of pi in maths, the number? 3.14159265. I'll let you read it in your own time. Uh, That's just a part of it. I I had to cut it right down. I found a website to the first 100,000 decimal places, but I just put the first (laughs) Hundred there for you. So pi is an irrational number because it has no end. It cannot be rationed. It cannot be, it it has no end. That was what irrational means. It's not able to be rationed off and measured because it doesn't end. So it's an irrational number, but it's not unreasonable. Pi is a very exact number. We know exactly what it is. Pi, the reason that number was discovered and has its own name, that it's been given a letter and named, unlike many numbers, uh, is because it exactly defines the relationship between a diameter of a circle and the circumference of a circle. It's an exact number. It has a definite way. It's a perfect definition of the relationship between a diameter and the circumference of a circle. similarly to that, God's generosity is irrational. It cannot be rationed off. It's not able to be, you can't say it ends here. You don't, it has no end. There is no rationability to it, but it's exactly, precisely defines the way God relates to us. It is very precise. It is a way. So, generosity of Richard and I towards our adopted children is irrational. It has no we cannot say what we would not give them, but it has a definite definition. It defines our relationship with them. It defines our relationship with our natural-born children. It defines our relationship with many of those who we, we've chosen to this person. I will give irrationally. It defines our relationship to this church and to our mission and to what we stand for. We will give whatever it takes to see. A, church that is reconciled, where people of every people group and every tongue and every race and every economic background and every emotional background and every everything are able to worship together as one family. We will give whatever it takes, but it's not unreasonable. We've chosen where we're going to give. So my second point is generosity is reasonable because it's by our choice. There are those who will take from you more than you wanted to give. But God is not one of them, and neither is this church. We will never take more than is by your choice, because do you know what? It's not generosity if it's not by your choice. We are led by irrational generosity, not irrational manipulation, not irrational anything else. We give only because we have chosen, we found something that is worth giving everything for. That's why we give. And that's the only kind of giving that we want in this church. That is the key point for today. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Paul is writing to the church, very similar to the month we're in now. He's asking them for an unusual giving of finances. And he says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. He urges them in the verses before, prepare yourself, decide. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want you to give because you all of a sudden feel bad because I'm in the room. Decide before I come. What is it that you want to give give to? What is it that you truly believe in? Decide that. I don't want you to give under compulsion. In fact, to the point that in another book, it says that Paul actually returns a gift that he feels was given under compulsion. He doesn't want any of that. Paul is an apostle, an old church father, and he says in Philemon 1 verses 12 to 14, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. He doesn't want a gift that is not given in joy. So, how do we make sure that our giving is cheerful? We have to understand that we have choice. You have choice. Nobody is forcing you. Nobody in this church, certainly, and certainly not our God, is taking from you anything that you don't want to give. And if that's what you feel, then please stop. Go back to the drawing board. Go back and think about what it is that you want to give to you. It's not, there is no manipulation here. Jesus gave his life But did you notice that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him? There were times when people tried to take Jesus' life, and he walked right through the crowd. His life was not taken before it was time. There was even times when people wanted to take his time and his healing power. There were moments when he was healing a whole lot of people, demon-possessed. There were real needs around, and he was like, okay, stop, it's enough. And he goes off, and he has a quiet moment. His disciples come to look for him, and they say, where are you? Everybody is looking for you. And where have you gone? He said, okay, it's enough. I've given enough here. This is not my purpose. This is not my choice. I'm going to carry on. I know what I'm called for. I have a purpose. I have a very uh, reasonable thing that I'm giving to. It's irrational. It's going to take my life, but it's very reasonable. I know exactly what it is. I know the perfect definition of what I'm giving to. And so he protects his life, and therefore he's able to give it by choice when it's time because he has protected it. It's the same as Boaz. Where does Ruth find Boaz? Ruth asks Boaz for everything. She asks him literally for his name and his estate and his inheritance, everything on a chance. There's a chance he may have a second son. We never read about it. We only ever read about the first son. She's asking him for everything, but where does she find him? Sleeping on his threshing floor, protecting his harvest. He's protecting his estate so that he can give it away by choice when he is ready. Friends, nobody is taking from you more than you want to give. It is our job to protect our estate, to multiply it, to grow it. But it is also our privilege to choose what it will stand for and what it will count for and what we want to give it to that will last as a legacy far beyond us. But it's your choice what you want to be a part of. The third point today is that generosity brings to both giver and receiver great joy. That's how we know it's really generosity. Do you know why? Because when we give out of compliance, when we give out of feeling that we have to, we feel resentment. (laughs) And very often the other person recognizes that and also feels pretty bad about what they've asked. Only true generosity gives great joy. If you are giving because you feel bad and you're the averagely good Samaritan and you're kind of trying to prove that you're good, it's not generosity. If you're giving because you want somebody to love you and to think well of you or to think you're a good person, if you're giving in order to change what somebody thinks of you, or maybe you want to belong somewhere, and you're giving so that you can be a part of this group. Look, I'm one of the generous people, or I'm part of this church. If you're giving because you don't want someone to shout at you and to get angry with you, all of those reasons, if you really drill down, are giving for yourself. Generosity is only generosity if it's for others good, and if it's for others good, it brings great joy It brings great joy because we were made to follow our King. We were made to follow our Father into irrational generosity, generosity that cannot be rationed, that cannot be measured, that has no end, that brings us such a thrill, such a joy because we've protected our state, we've grown it, we've built it. We haven't let anybody take from us unless it's by our choice, and we've given. It's not taken, it's given. Generosity is by our choice, and it's for others' good. Our generosity is irrational, but it's not unreasonable. It has perfect definition, just like the number pi. It has perfect definition. Our giving has reason, it has purpose, and it's done out of our free will, or it's not done at all. And in that way, it brings great joy to the giver and to the receiver. True generosity is irrational. True generosity is reasonable. And true generosity brings great joy. I want to just take one or two minutes to pray for us and to pray for those who are watching at home. If any of you have not experienced the generosity of God towards you, if you've not yet known that that is God's heart towards you, that he would want to give everything, that he would want to give to you without ration, without measure, that that is how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. That No matter what you've got yourself caught up in, he would want to give his life so that he can redeem your life out of whatever you've got caught up in. If that is you today, I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds to put up your hand, and or if you're watching on screen, you can click, there's a button that says, I think it says, I give my life to Jesus. You can click on that button and someone can pray for you. And I'd like to pray for those of us who would like to make that decision. So if that is you today, if you would like to say, Jesus, I want to accept your gift. I realize that you're not giving because you feel you have to. I realize that you've actually made a choice. You are wise enough and mature enough to have made a choice, and your choice has been to give to me irrationally, and I want to accept that today. Would you raise your hand or would you click that button so that I can pray for you first of all? Jesus, I pray for these that have made this choice today, that have said, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I I want to accept the incredible generosity that you have towards me. I want to follow you. Would you lead me? Would you save my life as you've given yours for that reason? I accept this today in Jesus' name. Amen. And for the rest of us, I would just like to pray as well. If you would maybe just raise your hands for all of us that, God, we would want to follow in your example, that we want to give without ration, that our giving wouldn't be rationed off, that we wouldn't feel that we have to hold on to things for ourselves that we wouldn't even feel compelled to give, that somebody is forcing us, that it's, uh, we're having our arm twisted. I thank you that you don't call us to that arm-twisted kind of giving. I thank you that you respect us, God. You're amazing because you're above all and yet you respect us. And now today, God, would you help us, first of all, to protect ourselves so that we have something to give? Teach us that lesson. Teach us what reasonable giving looks like. But also, would you put your heart in us, God, that we could be like you, even as you have called us to love one another as you have loved us, that greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Teach us to give irrationally, without measure, completely, like you give, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.